We are going to to read all of Psalm 89 today, but Leah is going to read some of it during the study because it is a long one, but a long one, it should be read and should be studied. Uh, It's easy to do the short ones, but to get through a long one is a little trickier. But this is really one of the most important of the Psalms. We're facing quite a long one, but it's really helpful because it's one of the ones that ties the Bible together as a whole. Not only the overview of history, but also some of the central theological themes of the whole Bible. Now, the background to the psalm is the covenant with David. It's recorded in 2 Samuel 7, where God promised through Nathan that David's son would always rule on the throne of Israel. So, a few words about the concept of covenant to start. A covenant is just a biblical word for contract. It's a contract made between two parties involving an agreement, promises, terms and conditions, like you have any number of contracts that you may enter into. There are undertakings and obligations that you have in your contract. There are penalties for defaulting on the contract. But the central idea is the hope of a good outcome as a result of being in contract with each other. It's a waiting for the outcome, living by faith in other people's words. Uh, We put in a new sound system, I signed a contract. There were obligations for them to put in the sound system. There are obligations for us to pay money. There is penalty clauses if they don't put in the sound system the right way and in the right time and right frame, etc., And we live in hope that the sound system will work and will produce what we have actually got produced. Now, because the Bible is about covenants, indeed the word covenant in Latin is testament. We've got two testaments. The whole Bible is built on two testaments, Old Testament, New Testament, because the Bible is built on covenants. And because our God makes covenants, makes contracts, History is of great concern to Judaism and Christianity. We want to know what was promised, what was agreed to in the past, to understand what we're looking forward to in the future, and to understand what to expect in the present. When was the covenant made? When will it be fulfilled? Why was it promised? Under what circumstances was it promised? How is it being fulfilled? Christianity is an historical religion. Historical, not in the sense that it's an old religion. That, that, that's not what I mean. It's historical in the sense that it's concerned for what happens in and over time. What did happen, what will happen, what is happening. We live by faith in the faithfulness of God, who in the past made promises about the future and faith is that living by the promises standing on the promises so that you expect something in the future now we can grasp the importance of this when we compare it with alternative religions you see most religions are based on instant gratification they're about procedures worships practices that will bring immediate contact with the divine, immediate satisfaction that that will bring for you materially uh, wealth, health, fertility, justice, 
or spiritually experience miracles or feelings of some kind. But the Bible is not about instant gratification. It's not about manipulating God or lining yourself to work out how to get God to give you things in the here and now. The Bible is about living by faith, looking back to the covenant promises, looking forward to the fulfilment of what has been promised to us, confident now in the faithful God who gave his word and will keep his word. It's like the difference in human relationships. Instant gratification, instant satisfaction means that if I don't like what you're doing, I'll walk out on this relationship. Covenant relationships mean I've agreed to be in contract with you. I'm going to work out our difficulties. We're going to work together in the future. The classic, of course, is the difference between a de jure marriage and a de facto marriage. For the de jure marriage, the person promises in a wedding, in a contract, how they will live with their partner, their spouse. With a de facto marriage, I'll stay with you as long as I stay with you and then when I want, I'm sick of you, I'll walk out on you because I've got no commitment to you. I've never promised that I would stick around. The difference is quite large. Well, with this idea, concept of covenant in mind, let's turn to our psalm, Psalm 89. The psalm of the covenant with David. And I'll do a, a quick break-up of the whole psalm into four sections. The first is a very short introductory section that Victor read for us a few moments ago, verses 1 to 4, where he says it's a song of the covenant love and faithfulness of God. For this covenant is one that not only is of God's faithfulness, but also of his love. All covenants are about faithfulness, but this one is about his love, his generosity, his grace, his mercy. For this covenant was made not by David or not because of David's desire or merit, but, verse 3, completely of God's choice. He is the one who has made it. And he has promised, in verse 4, a permanent dynasty to David. The dynasty of David would go on forever. This, of course, is the great monarch's dream. All monarchs have this dream that my house will be the house forever, that the house of Windsor or the house of, of Battenberg, or the house of whoever it is that you want. It will always be the ruling house. That was the promise today. David's house will always be God's house. And so the psalmist is going to sing of the steadfast love of the Lord, of Yahweh, and of the faithfulness of Yahweh. Because out of his love, he's chosen David and promised him always to be the ruling house. The house of David will be the house of God. Now, the second section in verses 5 to 18 speaks of the incomparable God. Here's a wonderful statement about God that actually just could be detached from the psalm and studied by itself because it tells you about the God who makes such a promise. And Lee is going to read to us now verses 5 to 18. Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord, a God greatly to be feared in the council of the holy ones and awesome above all who are around him? 
O Lord of God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you. You rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. You crushed Rahab like a carcass. You scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. The heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world and all that is in it, you have founded them. The north and the south, you have created them. Tabor and Hermon, joyously praise your name. You have a mighty arm. Strong is your hand. High your right hand. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Blessed are the people who know the festal shout, who walk, O Lord, in the light of your face, who exult in your name all the day and in your righteousness are exalted. For you are the glory of their strength. By your favour our horn is exalted. For our shield belongs to the Lord, our King to the Holy One of Israel. You see, it's a great statement about God. It's quite long. We could deal with that just all day, really, the things that are said. But the fundamental idea is that God is incomparable. Before all the gods of the universe, he is beyond comparison, especially in his faithfulness. In verse 5, let the heavens praise your wondrous, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. Or again, in verse 8, O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, with your faithfulness all around you. Faithfulness is critical for covenant keeping. But it's not only that, it's also his rule over creation in verses 9 through to 13. He rules over everything. Rahab was the mythical monster of chaos, especially the unruliness of the sea. He rules over that. Tabor and Hermon that are referred to there are the two great mountains uh, of Lebanon. He rules over them. But it's not only his faithfulness and his ruling over creation. In verses 14 to 18, it's his righteousness, especially in saving and protecting his people. So our God, Yahweh, is faithful, powerful and righteous. They're the great things, and no other God is like God in his faithfulness, his power, and his righteousness. Then the third section details the covenant with David. So we start with an introduction on David. We talk about the God who's made this covenant. Now we go and look at the details of the covenant with David in verses 19 to 37. Thanks, Leah. Of old you spoke in a vision to your godly one and said, I have granted help to one who is mighty. I have exalted one chosen from the people. I have found David my servant. With my holy oil I have anointed him, so that my hand shall be established with him. My arm also shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not outwit him. The wicked shall not humble him. I will crush his foes before him and strike down those who hate him. My faithfulness and my steadfast love shall be with him, and in my name shall his horn be exalted. I will set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the rivers. He shall cry to me, You are my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. And I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My steadfast love I will keep for him forever." 
and my covenant will stand firm for him. I will establish his offspring forever and his throne as the days of the heavens. If his children forsake my law and do not walk according to my rules, if they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. But I will not remove from him my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips. Once for all, I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His offspring shall endure forever, his throne as long as the sun before me. Like the moon, it shall be established forever, a faithful witness in the skies. David is chosen by God in verse 19. He's anointed by God in verse 20. That's what makes him the Messiah. That's what makes him the Christ. The Christ, the word Christ is the Greek word anoint, meaning anointed one. That, that's the way the king was appointed. And God establishes his kingdom. David has established his kingdom with God's help in verses 21 through to 27. You'll notice God's faithfulness in all this. Verse 24, my faithfulness, my steadfast love shall be with him. In my name shall his horn be exalted. The horn is the symbol of, uh, of strength, might, power. And again in verse 27, notice the relationship. I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. The firstborn is the heir. He's going to be the heir of the kingdom of God. Here is the covenant of God. Verses 28 through to 37 is the heart of the message of the psalm. It's what was told to us in the introduction in verses 1 to 4. We've been prepared for it in verses 5 through to 18 of the consideration of God who keeps his covenant and now we're reminded of it in terms of the details of the covenant. Look again at verse 35. Once for all I've sworn by my holiness I will not lie to David. His offspring shall endure forever. His throne, as long as the sun before me, like the moon, it shall be established forever, a faithful witness in the skies. So far, the psalm is very straightforward, really. There are details we need to chase out, but what is there is very straightforward. And that is why the last third of the psalm is such a shock. As we come to the question of how long will the Lord be angry in verses 38 to the end of the psalm. Thank you, Leah. But now you have cast off and rejected. You are full of wrath against your anointed. You've renounced the covenant with your servant. You have defiled his crown in the dust. You have breached all his walls. You have laid his strongholds in ruins. All who pass by plunder him. He has become the scorn of his neighbours. You have exalted the right hand of his foes. You have made all his enemies rejoice. You have also turned back the edge of his sword, and you have not made him stand in battle. You have made his splendor to cease, and cast his throne to the ground. You have cut short the days of his youth, and have covered him with shame. How long, O Lord? Will you hide yourself forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? Remember how short my time is. For what vanity have you created, all the children of man, 
What man can live and never see death? Who can deliver his soul from the power of Sheol? Lord, where is your steadfast love of old, which by your faithfulness you swore to David? Remember, O Lord, how your servants are mocked, and how I bear in my heart the insults of all the many nations, in which your enemies mock, O Lord, with which they mock the footsteps of your anointed. Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. This is actually the point, thank you, Leah, this is the point that the psalmist has been driving at from the beginning. The historical circumstances of the psalmist is that the covenant has not come true. Psalm Psalm, uh, verse 38, But now you have cast off and rejected. You're full of wrath against your anointed. Verse 39, You've renounced the covenant with your servant. You've defiled his crown in the dust. And the complaint doesn't stop there. On and on the psalmist goes down through to verse 45 complaining and pointing out the failure of God, the failure of God to protect his Messiah, to protect his king, to protect David's son. And then comes the question that the whole passage is, in a sense, heading towards. In verse 46, How long, O Lord? How long will the Lord be angry? How long, because we know eventually he'll honour his covenant promise, He'll restore the fortune of David. I mean, God is faithful, so eventually it's going to turn out for David's family, but it's not yet. How long? How long also? Because we know how short our lifetime is. We cannot wait forever. We're like a mist that comes and goes before death takes us away. And so the psalmist is reminding David God of his covenant in verses 49 through to 51. Your love, your faithfulness, but without the promise fulfilled now, and I'm not going to live long enough to see the promise fulfilled the way it's going. It really looks by the time you reach verse 51 that the man has given up on God. And then verse 52 finishes with an expression of incredible faith. Blessed be Yahweh forever and ever. Amen and amen. Kind of a footnote says, no, I haven't given up on God. I still believe in God and he'll do it. But how long when my life is so short? Well, once you get the structure of this long psalm under your belt, and it's a, it's a great psalm. It's a wonderful poem. Just as a piece of poetry, it's magnificent. Once you you get that under, you can start to see great truths of the gospel of the psalm here. Now, I've listed on the outline five of them here. They're all about the Lord, that is Yahweh in capital letters, Lord, that is Yahweh. Firstly, Yahweh's plans centre on David. David doesn't just happen to be the king of Israel. David is chosen by God for the job. More than that, David is the centre of God's plans. For what happens to the dynasty of David, what happens to the son of David, is the fulfilment of what God is planning for not only Israel, but for all the peoples of the world. See, when you start with your Bible in Genesis 1, 
You start with the creation of the world and the focus is on one humanity, uh, the family of Adam. We're all involved and engaged in this one humanity, this one Adam. But then the focus comes down from chapter 12, end of chapter 11, but chapter 12 onwards, to one particular family of humanity, namely Abraham. Abraham, who had his son Isaac, who had his son Jacob, and Jacob's names changed to Israel, and so we get down to this one particular family. And when we're down to this one particular family, we then come to one tribe within the family, because Jacob, whose name is changed to Israel, has 12 sons, and one of these sons is Judah, and we're told at the end of the book of Genesis that Judah is going to be the royal family, the royal tribe. So we're looking now for the king to come from Abraham, from Judah. But then 2 Samuel 7 identifies for us that it's not just one Judah person, it is particularly David and his family, his dynasty. So you move in the Bible from Adam to Abraham to Judah, to David. And we're now looking, because the promises were to Adam and Eve that the Saviour would come from their offspring, but it's Abraham's offspring, and now it's David's offspring that we're looking for. All the plans and promises of God are going to come into effect through the house of David. Second thing, is Yahweh's love and faithfulness. This is a theme of the psalm, right from verse 1. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. These two words should become very precious to us as Bible readers, friends. Love and faithfulness. They're all scattered through the whole Old Testament and they all hang together. Sometimes they're translated truth and grace, but they're love and faith. It's the same set of concepts. They are the fundamental characters of God. And not of every God, but of Yahweh, the God who is the true and living God. Uh, The gods of the ancient world were not full of faithfulness. They were fickle. One day they liked you, the next day they didn't like you. And they weren't loving and gracious. They would take things from you all the time. It's very distinctively Yahweh to be love and faithfulness. Faithfulness is essential to covenant giving and keeping. It's the characteristic most needed in any contract and it's the characteristic most needed in relationships. It's what you should look for in a business partner. If the person you're entering into business contract with is not a reliable, trustworthy, dependable, faithful person, don't do it. Because that's what the relationship relies upon. The actual legal document is not going to help you. It's the character of the person who is going to help you. It's what you look for in a marriage partner. It's exactly the same. We can marry, in a sense, anybody. But if they're not going to be faithful to the promises they've made, what hope is there for the marriage to lie ahead? It's what we need to teach our children to develop. We need to help our children by making sure that we give our word and if we've given our word, 
We keep our word, even to our own hurt, teaching that to our children and modelling it to our children is fundamentally important to train up our children in godliness and to create a society where stability and relationships can function and work and to help our children themselves in their own relationships. Faithfulness is so important. Love is the extraordinary generosity of God, even and especially in giving us a covenant in the first place. For the covenant of the Bible is not a covenant of equals. It's God who gives the covenant to humans. It's not that God and David sat down and worked out a contract with each other. No, no. It was God who decided. He decided to have a covenant and he decided the details of the covenant. And by his mercy, he chose David and to make a contract with David and to bind himself to that contract with David just as by his mercy he makes a contract with Christians to this day and binds himself to the contract. The other gods of the ancient world never gave their word and if they did they never kept it. But the God of the Bible gives his word and keeps his word because he's loving and merciful and gracious and kind. Thirdly, we see in this psalm Yahweh's sovereign power. We have nothing really to compare it with. He rules over all the earth, over creation, but also over history. Everything is in his power so that the words he gives, he will fulfil. How different are we to him in this regard? You see, we don't generously give our words to others. In fact, the, the present pattern of of a youthful generation is never actually give your word you'll be anywhere until the very last minute because a better offer might come along and you'd want to change your mind. We don't faithfully keep our words to others and we aren't always able to keep our words. Even when we lovingly give them and we intend to keep them, sometimes things happen that are just beyond our power and we're not able to keep our words. I mean, how often have you promised something to your children only to have to apologise to them later because something else has come up and we can't do what we promised we'd do? Not so God. He is able to rule over all things and therefore is able always to keep his promise. Fourthly, we see Yahweh's righteousness it's the wonderful summary of God in verse 14 that we have there. Verse 14. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Well, this verse is full of good memory verses, but that's as good as any, isn't it? I mean, that's the kind of verse you highlight, but not in the cathedral Bibles, in your own one at home. That's, that's, that's the kind of verse you do. It's, except that it's got big words. That's always that's almost worth doing in a cross-stitch and hanging over your, over your mantelpiece, isn't it? I mean, it's just brilliant. Righteousness and justice are the foundations of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. The Lord's character is seen in his covenant-making and keeping. You get the point when you consider the other gods. See, the fertility gods aren't concerned with love or faithfulness, but with performance and production. The fertility gods aren't concerned with righteousness or justice, but with homage and submission. 
justice and righteousness come with the rule of law. And the law comes with the covenant, the contract, the constitution. The Ten Commandments come from the covenant of Moses and give us the very concept of the rule of law, which establishes the whole concept of justice that you and I live under and just take for granted. The Sultan, the Sultan of Brunei, he just makes up the law as he wishes to. He's now going to institute Sharia law. But because he is a total, absolute sovereign, he can decide to do anything he wants with any citizen he wants, whenever he wants. In fact, he doesn't even give them citizenship. They are his subjects to do with as he pleases. We don't live in Australia like that because we've lived under the influence of the scriptures, the concept of the covenant, which gives rise to the rule of law, which gives us safety and security, and we know how to live in a society. It comes from God because he is righteous and just, and so creates a world that is moral world, and we live morally, and we have the stability and the safety and the security of a just society, not living just at the whim of the powerful people which is why we have ICAC, because the powerful people are corrupting the rule of law. But we have the law to undermine them. May they continue to do so. Fifthly, we see Yahweh's wrath. It's not an irrational temperamentalism. It's not that God loses his temper. It's an expression of his justice and his righteousness, which are part of his covenant faithfulness and love. See, there are terms and conditions in the covenant. He will punish the sons of David when they, kings though they may be, when they disobey and violate God's statutes. But God's punishment of these wayward sons of David is the righteous expression of his anger and wrath. It will not nullify the promise to David or nullify his love and faithfulness. God will, even though righteously angry, fulfill his promise. So what does all this say about living in the light of the covenant? Verses 46 and 47. How long? How long, O Lord, will you hide yourself forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? But how short is my time with what vanity you have created all the children of men? Here's the different perception of time that we have. When waiting for a pleasure to come, it seems like it takes for eternity. But when waiting for a problem, an hour goes by in a flash. See, I wait on a platform for a train and it never seems to come. I'm dashing in the traffic for a train and time flees at a, a great pace. While under the punishment of God, the plans and purposes of God take forever. But we don't have forever. For only in one generation, we live our three score years and ten, four score if we're strong, and we don't see the fulfilment of the promises yet. Here's the Old Testament Jew waiting for Jesus, the true son of David, by whom God established the kingdom forever, the eternal dynasty. And they waited and they waited for a thousand years between David and Jesus. The psalmist had to wait all this time 
this terrible long time, a thousand years during which time there was great suffering, great failure, there was great wrath from God with the Assyrians and the Babylonians, a thousand years during which time the psalmist had only three score years and ten in which to live. Yet God did fulfill his promises in ways beyond the wildest expectations of even David himself. And in his arrival, we see verse 14, righteousness and justice and steadfastness, love and faithfulness all came to bear when Jesus on the cross died for our sins and rose victor over the Satan and sin and decay and death and established the new covenant within his own blood, promising forgiveness and mercy to all who believe and repent, promising his return to judge the world and the creation of a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness will dwell. It all happened. And now we still wait for it to come to its completion. And we wait in exactly the same way as the psalmist, having faith in what God has promised in the past for the future. So we live by faith, looking back to what was promised, looking forward to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, living now by faith in that word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for your word, your contract that you will keep. We thank you that you kept your old covenant to David in the sending of your son. And we pray that you would keep your new covenant written in the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ when one day he will return to bring your glory to this world. And we pray it through Jesus' name. Amen.